Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Real Thoughts with Chris. I'm your host, Chris, and let's get today's episode started. Now, first things first I want to get out of the way is I was originally going to do a review for Happy Time Murders, the puppet detective comedy with Melissa McCarthy, although I wasn't given the chance to this week because I have looked, because I thought my home theater was going to play it. It is not. I looked at 10 different towns around me None of them playing this movie, which is, I guess, a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it, because apparently it is labeled as the best way to cap off an awful summer of movies. Right now, its ratings are sitting at a 5.5 on IMDb, a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an astonishing 1 out of 5 on Irish Times, which I know this is kind of weird, but when I look up reviews... uh, scoring for movies that also pops up but yeah none of them are very good <laughs> so far so i'm i guess glad i got out of the movie or glad glad out of seeing the movie now for i do have a movie to review today it's actually part of a trilogy which i'm going to possibly review with next podcast with my next podcast and the podcast after that because it ties in a game that i finished that i'm going to review today it ties into it and that happens to be Middle Earth Shadow of War. And it kind of got me into the mood of watching Lord of the Rings. So I watched, So far I've watched The Fellowship. I will at some point, possibly the next couple days, watch The uh, Two Towers. And then Return of the King. And do a review over every single movie. and uh, Just to get the trilogy out of the way. I will say this, though. Um, I don't necessarily like kind of... I like fantasy in a sense, but I'm more leaning in, like, I guess a fantasy aspect. I'm leaning more towards, like, science fiction fantasy. I'm more, I really like space and that kind of stuff more than fairies and dragons and things like that. But War of the Rings kind of holds a special place in my heart because it was kind of one of the first movies I had seen in theaters. I believe when I was, I think, The Fellowship came out when I was, I think, four or five? Maybe six, somewhere in that age group, and I was taken to go see it. So it is kind of one of the first movies I do remember seeing, along with Harry Potter. But I never really got into Harry Potter ever, so that's a shocker. I might lose some viewers, I guess, on that one because I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. I've tried it, I just can never get into it. But uh, those two War of the Rings won me way won me over. So meet me over in the movie corner or movies, whatever. <laughs> I don't know how to. I'm trying to figure out a good name for it. Where I will review the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Fellowship of the Ring. All right, let's get the review for the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, out of the way. That it was directed by Peter Jackson, who of course did one of my favorite uh, remakes of a movie, King Kong which I love both the original and the remake. So we already have one like an astounding director. We have uh, Gandalf, played by Ian McKellen, Frodo, played by Elijah Woods, Legolas, played by Orlando Bloom, Boromir, played by Sean Bean, Sam, played by Sheen, I think it's Austin, uh, Saruman, played by Christopher Lee, Aragon, played by Viggo Mortensen, Gimli, played by John Rice Davis, is I think how you pronounce that name. Now, this is the first movie in the epic trilogy from J.R.R. Uh, R. Tolkien. Sorry if I mess these names up. I'm not... 
I am a fan of Lord of the Rings, but I'm not a fan of... I can't really say some of these names right, so I apologize if I can't... If I say these names somewhat <laughs> incorrectly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what can I say about uh, this movie? That hasn't already been said. I mean, it's been around for a while now, and it's been praised immensely. I mean, I mean, and you can understand why. It's excellent. It's a excellent movie. I mean, from the heartbreaking scene, from the heartbreaking ending that it has into it, and the opening scene, you know, from from the battle it is shown at the beginning of the movie with the last stand, with the human, uh, you know, men and elves standing against Sauron and his dark forces. That scene where Mister Anderson, I know that's not his name in the movie, but that's what I'm just going to call him. He's you know standing there with the legions of elven archers behind him, and he says fire, and you see all those arrows fly past him, just nailing orcs in the faces. They're falling over to the scene where they're running at the, like, this, this nice line of elves, and it's just one clean motion, they just swipe up and just slaughter, like, just a line of orcs. To the, of course, very imposing scene of uh, Sauron, with his mace just smacking guys just, you know, left and right, hitting them with the, you know, showing off the power of the One Ring. He's just wiping out his legions of men with this one, the swipes, barely. He's almost, it's not like he's even hitting any, like, anybody half the time. He's just swinging, it's just showing out a shockwave, just flying, you know, flinging people across. From that to a sealed or just slicing off his finger, taking the ring for himself. I mean, this, starting the movie off is just, it's mind-blowing, and you know you're in for just a wild ride. Of it, like, just, it's a, you know it's going to be an epic journey. From that to just starting out s simply in the Shire with uh, Gandalf meeting uh, Bilbo for his birthday. You know, just, it's a very calming scene from that, you know, just insane, just incredible you know, warfare scene we had just gotten, you know, just gotten from. To this, it's just a relaxing, peaceful, getting you to, uh, scene. Just letting you build up and kind of get a, gain a connection with Frodo, since that's who you're going to be following for the most part of this journey, really. Frodo and his best friend Sam, they're, you know, stuck together in this sort of perilous journey. And it's This is a nice scene, a nice, you know, little bit chunk of the movie just for you to, you know, get attached to this character because as the hardships you go through and it, it's really nice because while you're attached to these characters, it makes you feel like what they're going through in the movie. You know, from the beginning, he's just a simple, you know, happy little fellow to towards, you know, at the beginning of the uh, journey to where at the end of the journey, you know, he's broken, he's beaten and everything. And you went along with him for the journey and you feel the same things he's feeling. Which, it's excellent, really. I mean, you really do care. From this scene in the Shire, to where Bel uh, Frodo gets the ring, to then one of my favorite scenes featuring, probably one of my favorite uh, entities of the Lord of the Rings, is the Nazgul. I love the Nazgul. I know they're evil and everything, but the design they give them in this movie is just, it's so simple, but yet so effective, of just a black rider. Just, you know, it's just a body just draped in rags, but they just look so awesome, and you can never get that damn screeching noise they make out of your head anytime they're either close to uh, Frodo or in a fight with Bilbo, and they just hear that 
the no like the screech noise is it's implanted in your head it's burning your head and i mean it's so memorable they've used it in other um properties you know with uh other Lord of the Rings games and things like that they've used it before, you know they've used it because it it's very memorable from that scene to the you know when after uh, Frodo gets stuck struck with the blade to when they uh, finally have the council meeting to discuss what to do with the one ring which of course you know leads into the famous I'll lend you my sword I'll lend you my bow and I'll lend you my axe but yeah, from that, from the Nazgul scene to that incredible scene where you really feel like Frodo is the one meant to hold the ring, because before the, you know, when they're having the council meeting, men, dwarves, and elves are all fighting over this ring, of what to do with it, of who to take, who should be in possession of it. And of course, you know, Boromir doesn't know what he's really what he's talking about because he's talking about taking the ring and using it to fight the enemy, which he can't, whereas um, <laughs> Legolas is talking about taking it, which then, of course, leads into Gimli saying he doesn't trust an elf, so it kind of stirs up a big, you know, political debate and everything, and he does have this happy little hobbit over to the side saying he'll continue with the journey because it feels, in his sense, that it is his, he feels it is his job to take it, <laughs> which is a really good scene all around, and probably one of my favorite from the whole trilogy is just showing that no matter what it's his job and even if other people were to help it is his weight to bear alone <laughs> which moving from that with the construction of the fellowship leads to the minds of moria <laughs> which i have to say it is astonishing to look at once they you know they're walking around everything what really confuses me about dwarven architecture is while they're walking around it, this is going to get kind of off topic because I just kind of want to think about this stuff when I'm watching a movie, but they're walking around and like, look how beautiful it is in the showing hallways. And I'm like, they're very short people. How do they get anywhere? Especially with a mine that big and it's just pillars everywhere. Like how do they, like I get it. They're supposed to, you know, they know they're, you know, they know how to get around, but it's just, it's still mind blowing to me that they built all that, but it's just mostly hallways we see. We don't see anything really else. And yes, of course, from in the Mines of Moria, we encounter the incredible scene where they're... I mean, I love it. I think it's a good scene. Is when Grimley finds out. I think it's his cousin or uncle or something like that. Finds out that he has died. And one of the hobbits, not Sam or Frodo, knocks something off into a well, which then stirs up all the goblins to come and just attack them and they're trying to hold out in this little small friggin' room against just waves of goblins as they're just slicing in half and then they get the cave troll in there too you know just <laughs> I'm sorry I'm kind of off top I'm kind of going everywhere with this <laughs> there's just so much I want to talk about with this movie because I do love the trilogy so sorry for the kind of inconsistent reviewing I'm doing but anyways, back to the review with the cave troll where, uh, you know, they're completely just attacking this thing and it is not going down whatsoever. And this kind of reminds me, this is another little bit off topic, I'm sorry, from the, I don't know if you guys ever played it, the PS2 game, <laughs> War of the Rings, the Two Towers on PS2. 
yeah, shout out if you know that. Thumbs up and like the video, uh, like the podcast if you remember that game, where you would also you would pick your character uh, out of Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli, or Aragorn, to you know play in the map, and you had to fight the orc, uh, the cave troll. You kind of got what they were going through because that thing was a like a pain in the ass to put down. But as it showed in the movie, I mean, it takes almost the combined might of the whole group to take the cave troll down, and then uh, Legolas finally shoots it in the mouth, and the arrow gets lodged back there, and it finally dies. And, I mean, that was just a great fight to them running out of that little room to just be engulfed by goblins. I mean, they you see them coming up from the floor gratings out of the ceilings. They're just surrounded by all these goblins, which I know they're trying to build up that Sauron has a big army, but I mean, there's like half the like half the goblin population. I feel like in the mines, they're just they're everywhere. Like it's insane how many goblins there are at one point because it circles around our fellow, uh, you know, our group here, and they're just completely surrounded, which of course leads. To another one, not nah, my my second favorite entity in the Lord of the Rings universe is the Balrog, which that's just a great scene where they're running away from it and they really build up on before exposing the Balrog itself. I mean, they really <laughs> build it up. I mean, first you just see a light at the end of a hallway, just coming down, and you see all the goblins just freak out about it. With then the group, or the group besides Gandalf, because Gandalf knows what's coming, the whole group is worried and wondering what's going on. And then he finally says, Oh, it's a Balrog. And then they start running. And as they're running, you hear that giant just, you hear not really roars, you just hear rumblings. They save the roar until you actually see the beast itself. And once you see the beast itself, it is amazing it looks like freaking satan i mean it is a giant just it's a it's pretty much it's just a giant being that's very animal like with just this metal skull with horns off the sides you see the wings in the back that are just almost made out of bone and when it finally lights up it, I, I was watching it and i almost i swear i like felt the heat off of it just because of how like it's shown because it just kind of roars and everything goes engulfed into flames. It was, <laughs> like I said, I could feel the heat off of just how the scene was. Which, then, you know, from there they're running from it. Which, you know, <laughs> of course the epic line, line delivery from Gandalf. The, you shall not pass, and slams the his staff into the bridge. Which, of course, causes the Balrog to fail. Or fall down into the pit. He whips, is able to whip on to Gandalf, you know, flinging him off the bridge. With another really good line from Gandalf is the, fly you fools, and everybody just runs. Uh, I keep saying which in turn, which it's, I mean, from that point of <laughs> Gandalf falling down to the pit, you get to the really, like, emotional scene of everybody outside of the mines, and they are beaten down. I mean, you can really tell that they just, they don't know what to do. They look horrible, you know. Of course, you got the hobbits crying, because Gandalf, you know, they really like Gandalf, and he's, they're distraught over it, crying. 
Boromir himself is somewhat confused and isn't sure what to do. I mean, he's not crying, but he's very... He's lost, you can tell. Same with Gimli. He's... I mean, he just witnessed... Not only did they went the mines, you know, didn't he witness his relative die, but he also seen half of his people slaughtered because there's bones, there's just corpses everywhere of dwarves. The only two who seem somewhat unfazed by it is Legolas and Aragorn. But at the same time, you can tell that they're still somewhat kind of shell-shocked by what they'd just seen. But Aragorn knows he has to be strong for the group because Gandalf did somewhat put him in charge before he sacrificed his life you know, to the Balrog. Uh, <laughs> which, I mean, like I said, after you know that was a very heartbreaking scene. You do feel somewhat saddened by it, just because, one, you didn't think Gandalf was going to die, but, two, you're some, you know, you feel very... You just feel what the characters feel, so you also feel what they're feeling, too, in this sense of depression and sadness. <laughs> and then the ghost used to meet, uh, I think it's Galadriel, which that scene I liked, but it did, I don't know why, I just felt like it went on for too long. But I get what she was trying to do, was show Frodo, you know, the impact of what he's in right now, you know, the gravity. He's in a massive situation. If he fails, the Earth is, you know, Middle Earth is doomed. And that's what, you know, the visions that she shows him in that just, continue, you know, solidify that Frodo can't fail. If he fails, everybody fails. The world's lost if Frodo dies or loses the ring. Because if he gives it to anybody, they're going to turn. I mean, even Gladriel said that, yes, she would love the ring, but she would be more powerful than Sauron. So she couldn't, you know, he knows he can't give the ring to anybody else. It is his, like I said... When it showed the fe- when it showed the fellowship being formed at the council meeting, it shows it is his burden to bear alone. Nobody else can know what he feels. I mean, not even his friend Sam. I mean, that's his best friend. If, like I said, if Frodo fails, Sam can't pick up the ring and continue with it. It is solely on Frodo's. You know, it's on his own back. He's got to carry this burden until it is complete. But from the gladial scene leads to the very the ending section of the movie, which in turn which shows the Urukai, the badass orc goblin hybrids um, that you will weirdly encounter in uh, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War, which and this movie states that Urukai weren't created until the movie this movie, which the other two games are created or supposed to be based sixty years before this film. Anyways, I'll get into that because I gotta talk some with about some more breaking stuff with that game. Anyway, yeah, she meet the Urukai, the badass orc goblin hybrids, and these guys put up one hell of a fight up between uh, Legolas, Aragorn, Gimli, and Boromir. I mean, it beats the it beats the crap out of them. More or less, Aragorn and Boromir. Although I have to talk about Boromir's death before that, I did skip a part. But before the attack of the Urukai, Boromir tried to take the ring from Frodo. Because Boromir seemed like he was, throughout the movie, when he does finally come into it and encounters the ring, you can tell out of all of them, he's the one that's possibly going to turn the quickest. And of course he does. He wants to take the ring from Frodo. He's obsessed with it. But it does make his death more impactful because he sacrifices his life to save... uh, I can't remember the other two 
out hobbits' names, but he sacrifices his life to save them. He, you know, he takes a couple arrows to the chest, but does fight off the Urukai until Aragorn comes and saves him from the leader, or from the like leader Urukai, who's about to shoot Boromir in the face with a bow and arrow. I mean, he's like a few feet, like a few feet back, and he's just like just gonna launch it into his face. But of course, Aragorn comes in there and saves the day, and not only <laughs> cuts his arm off with a straight up decapitation, which was freaking amazing on just seeing that, you know, the Urukai's arm getting cut off to then the Urukai pulling him closer to like punch Aragorn in the face only for Aragorn to whip his uh, whip his sword out of his that guy's stomach to cut his head off. It was a pretty awesome scene. Uh which of course Boromir gives his final words of forgive me, I try to take the ring from Frodo. I hope you know he can forgive me. And then he dies. Of course, it's a Sean Bean. It's Sean Bean's character, so of course, Sean Bean pretty much dies in everything he's in. Sadly, he's a good actor. I like him, but he just seems to die in any freaking role he's in. So yes, Boromir dies. Frodo runs off with Sam to go to Mordor to deliver the ring to Mount Doom, which leaves Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli to find the other two hobbits who were captured by the Urukai. Which will then lead into the two towers, which I also will, like I said, possibly try to review next Thursday. I sadly, like I said before, I am a fan. I just don't own the movies. I've been wanting to own them for quite some time now, but every time I see them, they're always in like a collector's pack. They're the extended editions, and they're like fifty dollars. And I mean, as much as I love movies, and I would possibly spend that, I do. I just, every time I encounter one of those collections, I'm either always, I'm short for cash. So I don't, I never have the chance to spend $40, $40 or $50 on the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings like I want to. And I can't ever find anything that's not the extended editions because I'm guessing everything, you know, after it got theatrical release, automatically went to extended because I can never find a normal theatrical release of Lord of the Rings, which I'd rather have the extended, but at this point I'll take either, I guess. (laughs) All right, with my review of Lord of the Rings out of the way, which I forgot to mention, if you haven't seen it, sorry I spoiled it for you. I guess I should have put up a spoil warning at the beginning of my little review for this movie. But if you honestly haven't seen Lord of the Rings, you need to. I know I just, I guess, sort of ruined the movie for you, but trust me, seeing it, like seeing it on the screen... It's just simply, it's something you have to do at least once in your life. It is an amazing movie. The other two movies, Two Towers and Return, are fantastic. And it is, you if you're a fan of movies at all, and a fan of fantasy movies, you have to at least watch this trilogy once. So, thank you for listening. Meet me over in the gaming corner. Still trying to figure out a good way to label those. But, meet me over there for... My review of Middle-Earth Shadow of War. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my review for Middle-Earth Shadow of War. Now, this review will also include the DLC for the Outlaw and Slaughter Tribe expansion packs that that I have bought. I have not yet uh, 
bought the other two DLC, which actually adds story and more content to the game. Another reason why I want to do this, because I was playing this last week and the week before last, is also there is supposed to be a release for a definitive edition of uh, Shadow of War, which comes with all the DLC together. So I felt like it was a perfect time to review this game. So if people haven't played this game yet, they can pick up the definitive edition and get it all together. You know, nice one little package. But before I get into that, I for these PS4 players, that is me. The next month for September's PS Plus game, uh, two games you get for free. It is Destiny 2 and what was the other one? Oh, God of War 3. So um, if you guys want to pick up those, those I think come out next Tuesday or the Tuesday after that. But Destiny 2 is available now. Also, August's game of the month, uh, two games you got for free for PS4 players. I forgot to mention, I'm sorry, and actually I was going to do a review over one of them, is Mafia 3 and Dead by Daylight. Mafia 3, so far I've been playing through it, is extremely fun, and Dead by Daylight is also extremely fun, but I've been playing on that for, uh, two, I think a year now it's been out on PS4, so I've been playing it for a while, so if you like shooting up gangsters or just wondering how this story finishes up in from Mafia 2, pick up Mafia 3 if you are a fan of horror and multiplayer competitive games, definitely pick up Dead by Daylight. So I just wanted to get those out of the month for you PS4 players. So you know it's, you know, two free games. That's about, you know, depending on where you bought them from, that's about, you know, 30 to $40 per game, you know. <laughs> I think Mafia 3 right now is 30 bucks. Dead by Daylight, I think 39 I know God of War is only 20 bucks. God of War 3 is 20 bucks, And Destiny 2 is somewhere in the range from 60 bucks still to $39. So I'm saving you some money there for, you know, those who play. <laughs> Anyways, back to my review for Shadow of War. This time around, instead of going out for going for revenge, you know, trying to find the men who killed your family and you in the last game, spoilers if you haven't played the last game, your character Talion and Kel Brimbor forge a new ring of power to take on Sauron. Remember how in my Fellowship of the Ring review I mentioned they'll break the lore of War of the Rings? Yeah, I'll get to that a little bit more in this review, but they do it quite a bit. Anyways, it is up to you to build an army to take on, take the fight to Bardor and end Sauron's campaign to conquer Middle-earth. Even though this takes place 60 years before Fellowship, so you're kind of going into a losing battle. Sad to say, if you you know know anything about it, yeah, you're going into a losing battle. But instead of fighting just Uryx this time... Which, Uryx being Urukai, which was another thing I said doesn't make any sense because in Fellowship they were created in that movie and this takes place, like I said, 60 years beforehand. Yes, you're fighting Urukai. I made sure. <laughs> the Witch King, Nazgul, all, all of them, I think. Maybe it's not all of them. And a Balrog come into the game and you will fight them. More or less, you'll fight the Nazgul and the Witch King more than the Balrog, but you still fight the Balrog, which is pretty cool. <laughs> now, Instead of just taking over an area in the previous game, Shadow of Mordor, because you got two maps and you can, you know, hunt down captains and what was above captains? Like, well, war chiefs. This time you can, uh, they have a new thing in the game. You actually have, I think it's five maps to play around with and each have their own specialized fortress. Yes, you take fortresses now in this game. 
which expands, which the Nemesis system was overhauled for this game for that simple reason. Now, not only do you have specialized fortresses that you have to take care of, now, which are specialized because orcs don't just have classes like they did in the last game, they even have specialized tribes that go with them. And with these specialized tribes, they get also special perks, which expands there in the Nemesis system in a sense too. Because the first map you go to where you're able to dominate orcs and take over a fortress, it is it will always be run by a feral tribe. This is for story purposes solely. The other one, the other three fortresses, because the one of them, two of them are story based. So besides the first fortress you take, three others are up. You know they can be any other tribes. So with the, I'll give an example here with this tribe system I've been talking about. So say you have an archer character, an archer orc. They can refire bows. But say they are part of a tribe, uh, the Marauder tribe, they gain a special attack that allows them to pull out two rapid fire crossbows and they can do a special move where they'll shoot them, shoot the crossbows at you and you have to dodge. Now, the standard vanilla game of Shadow of War came with seven tribes. That is the Terror tribe, the Machine tribe, the Marauder tribe as I just said, the Dark tribe, Feral tribe, Mystic, and Warmonger tribes. The DLC adds two extra tribes, the Outlaw and Slaughter, which they all have their own themes and their own epic um, moves that they can do, along with um, different vo you know, voice animations and things like that, also new names and titles. Now, I guess I'm, I'm going to give a brief example over each one. Uh, of course, I just said the Marauder tribe shoots crossbows, but they're, like, if you say you put a Marauder captain that you've captured as an overlord who controls the fortress it'll be a nice clean it'll be gold everywhere whereas say if you put one of the DLC ones um, say a slaughter tribe character the place will be caked in dead skin and flesh and things like that because it's you know going wrong with their char characteristics same with say you put a feral tribe uh, tribe captain as an overlord the place will be co covered in animal bones and there will be more animals in the fortress itself, such as categories, grogs, I think that's how they pronounce them, grogs, and uh, a new animal they have added to the game, drakes. So you can fly around on dragons and breathe fire now. Or not dragons, whatever. Standard, technically to the lore, drakes are smaller. Anyways, <laughs> I'm not going to get out of that. But yes, you can control drakes now, so you can fly around and shoot fire at people. Whereas opposed to if you put an outlaw tribe captain in the fortress, It'll be pretty much like something out of Mad Max. It'll just be covered in, like, rusty metal and stuff. It is pretty fun. Now, I have to say the game can be somewhat short. There are quite a bit of story missions to do in the game. But you can pretty much run through them pretty fast. Uh, I think one of them was... it explains the nemesis system in full and after each quest you get a special perk to add to your character so there's one that you do which will you dominate an orc and you you know follow this orc through the you know camp his little side quest story in a sense which that's what all these all the quests you do in a sense are side quests besides the main one which is taking forts 
his side quest is you first capture him, you capture the fort, and then he'll teach you how to use fight pits and things like that, and essentially to build your orc's character up. You want to know your orc captain's levels and, you know, things like that up. Which, I think I did it, and it took me an hour and a half to do. It took me an hour and a half to finish out his entire quest line. Where there's more things where, where you will deal with the technical entity of Middle-Earth. I think her name's Karen, or something like that. I can't remember how to pronounce it. But she is pretty much Mother Nature incarnate on Middle-Earth. Hers takes a little longer, and hers is probably one of my favorite campaigns. Because hers is where you'll deal with one... The Balrog, but you also deal with a specialized orc named Zog, who's a necromancer. And there's a really cool mission you do where all certain orc captains that you have killed and had maybe long feuds with, he brings back to life, and you'll have to fight him in a grand style, you know, arena pit fight, like kind of a pit fight. It is super cool, and probably one of my favorite kind of side quests to do in the game. Now, this game is is very fun it is had it kind of relies somewhat on shadow of mortar if you played that where if we're going to be honest the this game split up in different acts act one there's a prologue in act one act two and act three act three uh the prologue you pretty much find caliber and things like that in act one there's attack on miss ethel where you will it's pretty much a city, you're in a city being overrun with orcs, or uruks. And if we're going to be honest, I've spent maybe, I can't even think, maybe 50, like almost 10 hours maybe in just the first act. Because the thing about Shadow Mortar that I loved was the Nemesis system. And it, bring, you know, it brings it back in this game. There's something so fun about uh, interrogating these orcs they call orcs they call worms which will give you information about captains so there's something so fun about interrogating captains or interrogating worms to find out about captains and then pretty much just going across the board just either dominating and making them part of your army or just slicing down captains you know left and right and just carrying the shit out of uh you know sacred grunt urics this is so fun like I said, I spent hours just in the first act because, I mean, besides doing the story, I mean, you can either just do the story missions to get through it and then get to act two where you're going to finally dominate, you know, take control and build an orc army, or you can have a little bit of fun and, you know, just start slicing some heads off, if you know what I mean. I mean, they did upgrade kind of the brutality from this game, from the first game to this game in the sense of, the decapitations are pretty damn gruesome. You can also now cleave orcs in half. Yes, you can disembowel an orc in this game now, and it is simply incredible. Especially also, especially when you see the reaction of the grunt orcs, and you can pretty much see them shit their pants and then run off in fear as you just slice their orc captain who was talking massive shit to you a couple minutes ago, and now his upper torso is, you know, on the floor, separated from his lower half, and he's also missing an arm. It's pretty awesome, and it's even better when he comes back alive and talks about how he was put back together, and he's either got stitching across his abdomen, or he's got a metallic arm now, which is pretty much just a hook. It's still pretty awesome doing that, and you will, you know, encounter that through most of the game, which is also where the shortcomings come in, I have to mention. 
which as much as I love, you know, like I said, slicing down captains, late game it gets pretty damn boring. Once you've conquered maybe two forts, which you can move, which is cool now, because I don't think they had this when the game was first released. So you, the first map or fortress you capture, you have like, you like certain captains. You can move them to a garrison of yours. So say you get to the next map, you kill two orc spot, you kill two orc, orc captains, you can, you know, or how many orcs from the last map you put in your garrison, kill that number in the next map, and then just move some of your troops to that new spot. So you can always move your troops around, you know, here and there if need be. But say you don't have the money to do that because it costs a thousand per captain to put in your garrison. You're going to have to go through, and especially in the late game, you're going to have to go through these maps that have tougher Uruks now that are your level. And then you're going to have to go through again, interrogating worms, finding captains, you know, killing the captains that don't want, you know, have a certain perk called Iron Will, which you can't um, command, you know, control them. So they'll, you know, they'll withstand you and then they'll still fight back. Or they'll try, or you know, they'll betray you. So you gotta kill them, and it's just late game. It gets pretty, it gets pretty old because by that time, you know, you've kind of run through the course of things, and you're just, you know, you've got a couple maps or a map set up the way you want it, and now you just gotta go through this again. So you kind of, the longer it goes on, the less fun you have with it. But then when you start to having, you know, start having less and less fun, this one will throw something cool in, like, a captain who cheated death, you know, he'll come back, and he'll be pissed at you, and there's one captain I've had so far where I killed, I cut him in half, he came back, and every little bit, if I'm doing a mission, say, recruiting other captains or something, he'll pop up, and just be a dick, and just, like, attack me, or my captain, and then kill, you know, my new captain, it's been a couple times he'll ignore me completely and kill my new captain, laugh about it, and then run off and retreat. So, there are, they, you know, these uh, Uruks have some personality to them that are different. Now, um, sorry about that. I was about to hiccup. It is a very, there is one thing I have to talk about, and that is chapter three, which I know a few people have, you know, looked into the game and all. This is, they have changed it. Originally, it was 10. This is, it's a story element. I don't want to give away in the game. But you are on, after you've captured all the fortresses, you then go from being the um, offensive to defensive. And, the, and when originally when this game came out, it had microtransactions in, in it. And they purposely built this act around the fact of microtransactions. Because originally, there were... 10 rounds of this shit you had to do where you had to defend your fortress through increasingly tougher or Uruks. And it would get annoying when you would lose your fortress to an Uruk. And he would slaughter all your captains. And so then you'd have to go to this shit again and get new Uruks to replace the captains and then lead another assault. But now, since of updates and things like that, they have gotten rid of the microtransaction system, which is nice. And they have shortened the Act 3 down from 10 to 3 rounds of it. So it's not as bad, and it's more bearable. And then you'll get the ending to the game. 
which I have to say is nice because 10 rounds of that, I think around, because I actually did get this game when it first came out, I think at round 8 I was kind of sick of it. But now they have shortened it down to 3 and it was way better. It was actually pretty fun. Another thing with this is there is an online component to the game that I want to talk about. Now there are three different ways, three online components I want to go in with of kind of like modes you can do. And they filled into this thing which increases your rank and will allow you to unlock a chest called Spoils of War, which I forgot to mention helps you customize your captain. So say you have a captain you really like, with these um, Spoils of War they give you orders which, like I said, say you have a captain you like, but say you want him to have a fire weapon, you can look through this order sheet, and you can select fire weapon, and he'll automatically gain a fire weapon, or he'll gain the ability to ride animals. And that's just standard. Then there's epic ones, which will give you the ability to, say, make your Uruk a legendary champion Uruk, or something like that, you know? He'll have two special little traits, like being able to call a grog, and, or you'll have like an elite troop with him or something like that. So you can actually even customize your Uruks more now than you could when the game first came out. But the three online components that I want to talk about that are there are Vendettas, which were in the very first, and were in uh, Shadow of Mordor, which is pretty much, say, you have a friend who also plays the game, they got killed by an Uruk captain, you can go into their game world and kill the captain so you and your friend will get the spoils of war, which are which will earn you points to get the chest, which is nice. Or you don't have to kill him; you can capture him and make him part of your army. So then he'll be saved in your garrison, and then you can drop him off into your world at some point, if you wanted to. Another one is pit fighting, which I didn't discuss. I didn't go into detail on this earlier. Um, through one of the quests I talked about with the uh, dominated Uruk you have. He shows you this little pit fire arena. Now, it actually plays into the ga uh, game somewhat because if you complete the pit fighting in each area, you will unlock a special defensive capability in each air in each map. So I have to do it through all five maps. Now, you don't have to do it through all five maps to get the defensive capability for all the maps. It's just say you're in the first map you do the pit fighting you'll get that defensive bonus there where if you don't do it in the second you won't get the defensive bonus there it also unlocks the defensive bonus but it also builds up your uruk level which the higher level your uruk is the more health he has so there also is a sequel uh the, the online component with the pit fighting where you can make your uruk captain fight somebody else's uruk captain for of course points and you'll get gear from it and your Oracle level up. And of course, the last component is invading somebody else's fortress. So say you and your friend play the game, you want, you know, there is two different types of fortress invading. There's ranked and, um, ca uh, I think it's casual. Ranked, you'll be pitted against somebody randomly in the world, you know. You know, competitive or casual, you can choose from your friends list. So, Say, like, you can just choose from your friends. And you can actually invade your own fort to test your own defenses. So, say you think you have, like, an independent, uh, impenetrable fortress. You want to make sure you can make, you can invade your own fort. So, it's kind of neat in that sense. So, you can do, like, a test run 
because once you capture a fort, it is planted online so other people can invade it. Now, through ranked, the only people who seem to lose orcs is the attackers. So say you have, you know, somebody invades your fort and kills your Uruks and, like, captures your fort online, your Uruks will not die. If you attack somebody's fortress and your Uruks die, you will lose Uruks. So, you know, you'll lose your captains. So, it's, you know, it's, you will earn more spoils of war for invading somebody's fortress, but there's also that risk of if one of your captains dies, they're dead in your game. So, that's something to take into consideration. Now, all in all with this game, I have to say, at the price that I got it for, which was, I think, 20 bucks, it was definitely worth it. When the game first came out at a full $60 price, it was not worth it then. It was a very fun game, but with some of the shortcomings, like I mentioned, it was not worth the $60 price. If you can pick it up for sale or pick it up now, definitely pick it up. Uh, the $60 price, I'm guessing they're going to put on the Definitive Edition. I would say it's worth it then with all the content they have added up. You know, what they've added after updates. Like, now you can get Nazgul Masks, which will give you um, extra perks like the ability to call in Elemental Grogs. Like, because there's you can call in Standard Grogs, but then you can call in with the mask like Elemental, like a Grog that can shoot a poisonous breath. Or a Drake that can shoot ice. You know, there's things like that with one of the masks. Other masks will give you increased damage. Well, or I think it's increased damage if your health is low. So, it's like, the more hits you take, the better, you know, the better you'll do in combat. Now, one thing I do have to mention before I kind of end this review is the difficulty settings. They have different difficulty settings now. Play the game on the hard difficulty, which is labeled Nemesis. Because if you play on easy, or uh, I think it's like easy, casual, or something like I can't remember how they label it. But if you play it on anything below Nemesis, it is way too easy of a game. You, you will pretty much fly through the game like. I mean, it is simply way too easy. It had the same kind. It's the only way I can describe it is if you pick the other the two difficulties before Nemesis. I mean. It is about as easy as Shadow of Mordor, where you will pretty much never die. It is worth it to play on Nemesis. Anything higher is kind of comp uh, kind of crappy. There is a Brutal difficulty and then a Gravewalker difficulty. And those do increase the Uruk's health, but also increases your damage. But at the same time, you hit on Uruk's for far too long with the, with the Brutal and Gravewalker. It takes forever to kill a single enemy so I'd say Nemesis is the perfect middle it's not too easy but it's not just mind-numbingly just ridiculous and repetitively hard where you're pretty much like it feels like you're beating you know the Ergs with like a wiffle ball bat it's just bound they're like a nerf bat like it's not even hurting them half the time so yes like I said Nemesis is the perfect way to play I would say so like I said you know if you can find it on a sale or find it for 20 bucks the standard edition of Shadow of War pick it up if it comes out for $60 price, I don't know if that's actually the price point they're going to release it for the Definitive Edition. I would say pick it up then. Anyway, so that is my review for Middle Earth Shadow of War. Thank you for listening. I'm going to do the in, the closing, and we'll give you a little bit of uh, movie trivia to end out the episode. Thank you for listening.
And here we are again at the closer of another episode of Real Thoughts with Chris. Thank you for listening again. I know I keep saying that after every segment, but, you know, it means a lot that you guys are listening. Again, if you guys could thumbs up, subscribe, favorite, like, share, whatever you got to do out there on those, you know, on the uh, other podcasting distributors such as Bleaker and things like that, you know be greatly appreciated because i do see it through here and you know for those on anchor thumbs that up favorite my cha- uh, favorite my little podcast channel it, it means a lot <laughs> for me little fun fact of movie trivia today sir christopher lee read the lord of the rings once a year from the time it was published till his death in 2005 he is also the only cast member to ever meet J.R.R. tolkien now that's pretty awesome i mean it makes christopher lee even you know more amazing as a person uh, I have a I really love Christopher Lee when I was going through the my kind of movie phase of watching old school horror movies he was an amazing Dracula character for the Hammer films so it was kind of cool seeing him in this movie too he is a very intimidating character as Saruman he's also very well respected it seems like in you know in the universe so it was awesome seeing him in Lord of the Rings also, as in Star, I love Star Wars too. So it was awesome seeing him as Count Dooku, and those movies as well. So he, and if you didn't know, he also has a heavy metal band. <laughs> I found that out recently too. So he's been kind of everywhere with it, <laughs> you know. So yes, that is the little fun fact movie trivia for this episode. Uh, like I said previously in my podcast, I was going to try to watch the Two Towers and Return of the King, so those look forward to that, because that should be my next review on the podcast, is The Two Towers. Now, with gaming reviews, I am kind of wishy-washy with it. Red Faction, I did complete Red Faction Guerrilla, the remastered edition, but I don't feel like there's enough with of that game for me to talk about, personally. I mean, if as much as I love the game back on 360, I don't feel like this game should have been remastered. It didn't add a lot. I mean, it, I don't think I would, didn't expect it to, but it's the same exact. Like I said, it's a good game, but the f- I think it's like forty dollar price point it's at right now. It is definitely not worth picking up. I would wait till it drops down immensely. I would say and pick this up, pick this game up for no more than fifteen bucks, maybe twenty. But I feel like anything, anything past twenty is pushing it a lot. It, like, don't get me wrong; it's a good game. It is a great destructive game. Everything in it's destructible, but it's just you can really tell it's an old game, and it just shouldn't have been remastered. They should have done something completely different. There's a ton of other games that could be remastered from that era, from the you know 360, PS3, and <laughs> Red Faction Guerrilla shouldn't have been one of those games. But Mafia 3, I did finally, I did finish. But same again there. I don't feel like there's enough for me to review on that. So, I don't think I'm going to talk about that the next, my next review. Right now, I am consistent, I am looking at, with one of the PlayStation free games, I know that's kind of a cop-out, but I was going to look at possibly Destiny 2 see if it's better than Destiny 1 because personally I wasn't a fan of Destiny the very first Destiny so I mean this one's going to win me over and another game I've been kind of playing is Rocket League 
but I don't know if there's enough for me to review with that also. So, I am kind of stuck in a limbo. I am currently playing through City Shrouded in Shadow, as I mentioned in the last podcast, but I am having to take it very slow because I do not speak Japanese, and the game is entirely in Japanese, since it's a Japanese import and it was only released in Japan. So, that will probably be maybe the podcast past my Return of the King uh, review. So that will probably be in a couple weeks because I, this is going to sound bad, but I'm a very relaxed person, but it is kind of, of annoying. I mean, I can't really complain this about the game because of the language barrier, but I have to every little bit stop because they'll come to me having to solve a puzzle or something like that. And since I don't speak Japanese, I can't really understand the puzzle. So it is kind of annoying because I have to get my phone out, use Google Translator, screenshot, you know, take a picture of my TV screen, which sometimes it doesn't read right. And then I got to freaking highlight all the stuff I want written. And half the times I can't even trust the Google Translator because it sometimes... Like with certain monster names, it won't read it correctly. So sometimes I can't even get the puzzle completed and I'll have to go look at an online review of it or an online guide to help me complete the game because, like I said, I don't speak Japanese. So that's why it's taking me so long to complete this game. But I will get it completed here soon. So my next two podcasts regarding video game reviews, I'm not sure yet. So... If there is a video game you want me to review, please leave me a voice message, and if I can get to it, I will try to review it in the next podcast or the podcast after that. Anyways, oh, and it goes with movies too. If you want me to review a certain movie, leave me a voice message, and I will try to find it and review it for you. So thank you for listening to Real Thoughts with Chris again. I am your host, Chris. See you on the next podcast. Thank you for listening.